Hey, Trinity family. It's a joy and pleasure to be able to close out our series in Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you have your Bible and you have it open, make sure you're at Colossians chapter 4. We're going to close with a lengthier passage, but hopefully an encouraging one. We're going to read verses 7 to the end of the chapter, verse 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, to Nymphia, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for this letter that we have taken time as a church family to consider. We thank you for its truth and how it holds up to us the amazing, supreme sufficiency of Jesus. He really is worth being our treasure. God, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged in that and for that, and that you'd be with us now in the preaching of your word to your glory and to the good of your people, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus told this short parable once. A short story that packed a punch of what it looked like to belong to God in his kingdom. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I hope our series in Colossians has been like stumbling on a field full of treasure. I hope that our hearts have been greatly encouraged to treasure Christ above all things and to do so with even greater joy. My hope and my aim in our time spent in this letter has been to to lay before us the worthiness of Christ to be our treasure and to give us a roadmap of what it looks like to treasure him. 
that we would long to commit more and more of our lives to treasuring Christ through all of life. The letter ends here in what feels like a list of details and correspondence with people whose names are hard to say. And yet it is ending with great encouragement to keep treasuring Christ. To keep treasuring Christ. And so our focus as this letter closes with encouragement to keep on treasuring Christ is going to be just that. That we would be encouraged to keep treasuring Christ together. And two ways that we're going to look at that is one, we're going to see that we are encouraged in treasuring Christ. And we are encouraged for treasuring Christ together. And that's our outline this morning. Encouraged in treasuring Christ and encouraged for treasuring Christ. So let's consider that together. First one, encouraging or encouraged in treasuring Christ together. Now the overall aim of the closing section of this letter really can be you know, simplified to one word and that is encouragement. Paul is closing the letter and he wants them to be encouraged. He runs through a list of names and details and it may seem rather scattered. But if you notice carefully, the aim really ultimately is to encourage the Colossians to keep clinging to Jesus and living for him. In something, he wants them to be encouraged and for something, he wants them to be encouraged. And so Again, my hope and aim for this series has been to do just that, that we would be encouraged in treasuring Christ and to be encouraged for a life that goes about treasuring Christ together, that we are encouraged in the supremely sufficient Jesus Christ, who is our life, and that we would be encouraged for a life with Christ as our treasure. Now, this letter was sent with that encouraging aim, and we can see that in verses 7 through 9. So look back at those three verses again as we look and see how the aim of encouragement comes out for us. Verses 7 and 9 of chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Tychicus. That's a fun name. Kids in your living room, say it. Tychicus. Say it the rest of the day. Tychicus. Tychicus was sent with the letter to the Colossians. And he was sent with a purpose. Deliver the letter, letter, update the Colossians, how Paul is doing, and just be a general and specific encouragement. He wanted them to know and how Paul and his team were doing. Currently, they were imprisoned for the gospel, but the circumstance didn't mean things were going poorly. And so they wanted to be an encouragement to the Colossian church to keep making much of Jesus, even in light of Paul's circumstances. And then they wanted the, the, the letter and, and the, the people who arrived with the letter 
to encourage the Colossians with the contents of the letter. The supremely sufficient Jesus for all of life. Through all of life. So the letter and this team of people who arrived, they were all sent with the purpose of encouragement. So what does this mean for us? Well, it meant, first of all, that the circumstances of Paul's imprisonment did not impede the work of the gospel. Actually, those circumstances provided new and awesome ways for the gospel to continue going forward. And as we think about our current circumstances, our current situation, and our current COVID-19 reality, it's not an impediment to the gospel. It's just the context by which we get to see how the gospel gets to go forward in our present circumstances. So hopefully our hearts are encouraged to know that Paul in prison was not blocking the gospel from going forward, but was just providing a new context for the gospel to go forward. And we, in our COVID-19 reality, are also not blocked from seeing the gospel go forward, but it will go forward with great power in the context of our lives right now. We can also see that things and our lives, our world, are going to change. Not just in the media, but for the long run. Things are, are going to change in our lives, in our culture, our society, and our church. Things will change. And I hope that as we wrestled with things right now in our lives and in our hearts, that God's been doing some work tilling our hearts. Tilling our hearts. And that stones of unbelief, or distractions, God has graciously been removing from our hearts. Given the stay-at-home realities that we have in our household, we began an outdoor project in our backyard, getting rid of a lot of overgrowth. Digging and cutting and chainsaws, it's been fantastic. Except for the fact that I've come to realize the only thing my backyard harvests is rocks. The only thing. I see a rock. I think, oh, let's get rid of this rock. I go to pick it up, and I realize, oh, no, it's a whole lot bigger than what it looks like. And so now we have to dig out the rocks. And those rocks are everywhere. It's as if that's the only thing my yard will grow are rocks. I guess you could say, welcome to the granite state. Maybe... Maybe your heart feels like there are a lot of rocks in it. And this season of life has caused you to see where those rocks are. And God is graciously doing work to remove those rocks. So that when we do get to back together, we have hearts that are eager for our new realities. Eager to see what God would do in and through our lives and in and through our church. Things will be different when we get back together, whenever that is. And we can't think of it as a return to normal, but rather walking into a new normal. And we have to prepare 
for a going forward into a new reality kind of life. But we get to prepare not as ones who lack hope, but ones who have hope and the power of God through the gospel. These circumstances do not impede God's powerful work through the gospel. These days are not obstacles, but opportunities to see lives get rescued and transformed by the power of God accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ and proclaimed in what we call the good news or the gospel. How amazing is that? And how stabilizing, how joy-producing, how tangible will our courage be to know that not even chains prevented the gospel from going forward in Paul's day and neither will social distancing prevent the gospel going forward in our day. These are not obstacles. These are opportunities that we can be encouraged as our hearts settle all the more in how worthy and amazing and awesome Jesus is. So we know that the context of Paul's life were not impeding the gospel from going forward. Therefore, we can be encouraged to know the same is true for us. Also, we know that the very content of this letter was to be a huge encouragement to the Colossian church. What we know and what we believe about God is to inform our thoughts, our affections, and our manner of living. And central to what God is doing in all of history, central to his purposes, central to his promises, central to all that he is accomplishing, is that of what he accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Y'all, we have the most incredible news. We have a Colossians 1, 13 through 14 reality. I want to read those words again. They'll be on your screen. Let's remind our hearts of the reality that we have right now in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The scope and the significance of all that God has accomplished and, and applied in our lives through the gospel is overwhelming. It's eternal in that it, it lasts forever. The significance of the gospel is eternal. It lasts forever. And it's infinite. It's limitless. It, it is overwhelming good news. This is our current reality and the content of this letter shines an incredible spotlight on it. I hope has encouraged your hearts, invigorated your worship, and gave you strength and courage to live out your lives in a hard world full of all sorts of disruptions and distractions. For the Colossians, if you remember, they were dealing with hard circumstances around the church, but also threats within. They had false teachers. And the false teaching and hard circumstances sought to dislodge their hearts from treasuring Christ. And this letter 
would have been an incredible encouragement to them to keep on treasuring Christ. And my hope is that it has been an incredible encouragement to you to keep on, or maybe start and keep on treasuring Christ through all of life. We are encouraged in treasuring Christ as we consider Paul's correspondence at the end of this letter. And we are also encouraged for treasuring Christ together. Encouraged for treasuring Christ together. Look again, if you will, at verse 12 of Colossians chapter 4. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. We are encouraged for a life that keeps on treasuring Christ. And in that life, we'll experience growing maturity in our faith. That our treasuring Christ will strengthen and deepen in our lives. So here we see an aspect of that is that we would mature, that we would stand mature in Christ. And this draws back in Paul's very, very streamlined focus for ministry. If you remember a, a, a significant um, passage that we considered earlier in chapter 1, verse 28, gave us this streamlined picture of Paul's aim in mis- ministry. And let's consider those words, 128 of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ and so here, Paul, is, his aim in ministry is to hold up and hold out the sufficiency of Jesus and to see people grow and mature in Christ. And here at the close of the letter, we see again how the church is encouraged for that very life of standing mature in Christ. As they are encouraged in Christ, they are encouraged to also keep growing more and more like Christ. Now, some things that we need to remind our hearts about. We never arrive in full Christ-like maturity this side of glory. There are many dangers, toils, and snares, as well as comforts, pleasures, and cares. We have so much in Christ, and we get to spend the rest of our lives together growing and knowing just how much we have in Christ. And as we do, our faith matures and strengthens and continues to bear good fruit. Maybe this season has brought out aspects of, uh, of your life that have treated Christ, treated belonging to the church in a superficial way. Maybe, maybe you've come to see how your life has been too chaotic, that you haven't had the time or the energy or the focus to grow at treasuring Christ. Maybe this season has helped you come to see 
how your heart is distracted by a whole host of lesser things, that you've become convicted over how bored you were with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe you're ready to wade out from the shallows for the one in whom all fullness of God was pleased to dwell and to reconcile you by the blood of the cross. God's aim for you is to grow you up in Christ. He wants more of Christ's character formed and more of your life. And that you would then grow at seeing the worthiness of Christ to be your treasure. And as you do that, you also grow, as we saw from verse 12, fully assured in the will of God, in all the will of God. Assured of what? Assured of what? Well, God's will wrapped up for you in Christ. God's will wrapped up in Jesus that you grow to see that the gospel is enough for you and your life and your church, enough to shape your perspective on life, enough to give you joy in your heart, enough to give you strength to live. Like what God has supplied for you in Christ is enough. That you you feel all the more encouraged to believe this as a dying man or dying woman who has now been made alive. That you don't soften the message of the gospel or try to make it more palatable to a world that is distracted by their looks in a mirror. That we grow at delighting in it as rescued ones, declaring it as happy ones, and displaying it as hopeful ones. Because nothing can dislodge you from what God has done for you and given to you in Christ. Therefore, don't hide. Don't hide from what you are and what you have in Christ and the life that comes with treasuring Him. And that what God has given you is a life that's described in Colossians chapter 3. It's a good life. It's a life given to you by the grace of God. Know this life. Know it well. Treasure it. Be assured of God's purpose for you to grow in Christ-likeness. Now we see there in that close of the letter that we are encouraged for this, that we are encouraged to grow and be assured of what God has for us. And we are to do this together. Really, the whole section, the whole close is a picture of this intentional partnership that Paul is, is joyful over in the life of uh, this Colossian church. Particularly, I want us to see just the closing words of verses 16 through 18. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, 
see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This whole closing section reveals an intentional partnership, a togetherness that comes with treasuring Christ. They are to partner in the work of the gospel. They aren't to be idle, but they're crucial to what Paul wanted to see happen through the church. Likewise, we are to partner in treasuring Christ together. Right now, we would be enjoying the second round of the NBA playoffs. Maybe the Celtics would be there. They had a nice squad this year. And on the watching those playoffs, we would see all around that basketball court a sideline. And those sidelines would have places where the players and the coaches and the trainers, they would go and be and have time of rest and a time of strategy. But the real focus was on the court in the game. The sidelines played a crucial role, but they weren't the main aspiration. It was what was going on the court. The phase, the phrase, excuse me, the phrase, we are in this together, has shown up everywhere right now. Everyone feels obligated to say it. Every business, every corporation, everywhere. I mean, it's even in my Verizon bill. My Verizon bill is telling me that we're in this together. Verizon Bill, you need to know your lane. But the church, the church really is called to be in this together. And maybe for some of us, it's time to move out of the comforts of the sideline and be way more intentional in the sort of community that champions and treasures Jesus Maybe we need to embrace this call to treasure Christ together, not as passive viewers, but as active participants. Some of us do need rest on the sideline, and and there are times in which we do need to strategize over what we're going to do together as a church, but we all are to be in it together, actively participating in treasuring Christ. What might that look like, you ask? I heard you. What might that look like? Well, maybe it's just more meaningful conversations when we are together. Or maybe it's it's more earnest prayer about real things going in your heart. Or maybe it's a time of equipping to know and understand and, and be more equipped to make known what God's word is all about. Maybe it's more intentionality to foster a gospel culture in which you want to intentionally invite and bring people to. And maybe it's just more eagerness and more commitment to change and to grow as people and the church. Treasuring Christ together is not a passive, wait-and-see, consumeristic mindset. No. It's all-hands-on-deck. Jesus is worth it. Let's go, culture. 
Treasuring Christ drinks deeply of of gospel-shaped doctrine and displays joyfully and also hopefully a gospel culture. I want to close with words from a book I encouraged us to read earlier this year called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ by Ray Ortland. I'm going to close with these words. May they be a continued encouragement for you and for us as a church family that we would be encouraged in treasuring Christ and that we would be encouraged for treasuring Christ. Gospel doctrine cracks our hearts open to receive something from beyond this world. We see how massive God's love really is. And so we give up our aloofness and come together to care for one another in real ways, even as God wonderfully cares for us. That is when a church starts to look like a community where the God of John 3.16 dwells in power. And that is when the world can see His love in reality. And many will join us in Christ and live forever. Oh, may that be true of Trinity. May we be encouraged to treasure Christ and see our lives together look like and sound like and feel like that. May God do that work in us to his glory and to our good. Let's pray. God, we certainly ask of this of you. We pray that you turn our hearts toward you, that you turn our hearts to Jesus, that we would see in him one worthy of it all, that we would long to to know him and to treasure him and to live for him, not just as individuals, but together collectively as a church. And may you work powerfully through us so that others would come to see and treasure Jesus too. And join us in making much of him. God, would you do something radical and amazing? Would you turn our hearts that are, that are hard or that are stony or that are full of weeds? And would you turn them into good soil that receives your good word with great joy and gladness? And may our lives bear good fruit that others want to have in their life too. God, would you do that? May we all be encouraged to treasure Christ together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we did it. We got through a book of the Bible. That's an awesome accomplishment, Trinity. We we studied Paul's letter to the Colossians. So we got one down, 65 to go. And so where we're heading next is Exodus. Now, it might take us a little longer to get through 40 chapters, but I do promise that the pace will be a little bit different than how we went through Colossians. So next week, we will begin in Exodus. And the theme of that series is Delivered to Dwell.
I hope it will be an encouragement for us in the weeks and months ahead. Finish your time together as a family, singing in response. Close out with your benediction. Pick somebody to bless the uh, family and say the time is done. You're dismissed and enjoy the week ahead. Many blessings.